welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And the last time the message was titled, Will You Be Attending? Will You Be Attending? And it was kind of neat because, you know, people talk about this, right, in the church. uh, Maybe people that aren't believers. Oh, I hope when I die I go to heaven. Well, you can know for sure. And it's, you don't have to jump through hoops. You just have to trust in the one who paid the penalty for our sins. But what Jesus does in this parable, which we covered the last time, was he talks about this talks about, you know, going to heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see that in Revelation 19, you know, spending eternity with, with God and wonderful people. And um, he kind of likens it, he does this parable, sort of a, a huge banquet, like this wonderful wedding banquet. And what the Lord would do when he was on the earth is he would take things that we could all understand, right? Things that people could see every day. Um, one of them would be a banquet and he would use that as uh, symbolism or metaphors for getting to heaven, right? So the message was titled, Will You Be Attending? And I would ask everyone today, whether they're here or online, will you be attending? And hopefully everybody says yes, right? Um, We get invited to many things throughout our social lives, but the most important thing is that we spend eternity with our Father, the Creator, okay? Today the message is titled, uh, He Really Loves Us. He really loves us, and he really does love us. And, you know, when we go through the different portions of Scripture, uh, we cover a lot of different topics, right? So today we're going to speak about God's love, right? Insofar as what he thinks, what he believes, what he does, and the actions he takes to win us to him. Now remember, God has given us free will. We can choose every day whether we're going to be in the flesh or we're going to be in the spirit. However, For those who don't know God, again, they can stay not knowing God, but God's desire is that the whole world will be saved, right? We see that in Scripture. So um, he really loves us. We're going to go through some parables that embody God's heart and his desire to win everyone, especially those, I don't know, lost, estranged, don't know God, whatever you want to put that term in there, you know, fill in the blank. He wants all of those people to come to him, and he does it in very interesting ways. So we're going to see this in four parts. So chapter 15, it says, now remember, this is a biography of Jesus' life. It chronicles what he did in his spare time. It chronicles his childhood, his teen years, his crucifixion, right? So this sort of center of the book that we're covering is his ministry, that three plus years that he just went out and spoke to everybody. He fed them, he healed them. Um, Jesus must have had an incredible cardiovascular system. He was walking everywhere, right? Uh, and, he, and he took naps, right? You do a lot of things, you get tired as, as being fully man. He napped at times in, in the boat. But here, he's, again, he's preaching. Uh, he comes off of a social event where a, a man is healed and there's some criticism about him healing on the Sabbath, and we covered all this. So continuing on, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees, which is a high echelon religious leader, 
kind of group, and the scribes, which were you know, part of that group as well, complained, saying, this man, referring to Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So, one is the catalyst for the parables. We're going to cover two beautiful parables this morning and one incredible parable of prodigal son the next time we come together in Luke. It's an incredible parable, uh, and it really tugs at your heartstrings, and it's one of the ways that God expresses His love for humanity. So verses 1 and 2, the catalyst here is that the religious leaders were offended by Jesus attracting the lost, right? Now, this week, the movie Jesus Revolution came out, or is coming out, and I talked about that in the announcements, and it's sort of this, this picture of, if you remember in the 60s, Lonnie Frisbee, Chuck Smith, you know, the Calvary Chapel movement. And uh, what's really cool is that there were a lot of churches in California that had become stale. However, there was some churches who, which should have been all churches, opened their doors to anybody. And hippies came in, right, uh, with the bare feet and the tie-dye and the bandanas and all that stuff. And that was a thing back then, and they started to fill the pews, and some of them became pastors afterwards. A lot of them got saved. So it's an incredible thing when we know that God opens His heart to everyone, and in the church, we should follow our Lord's lead. What is this closed society church? You know, and, and it happens. I've seen about it. I've heard about it. And that's not what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where we welcome anyone seeking God. So if you haven't fit in at other churches, well, you've come to the right place this morning. <laughs> um, so we look at this, the sinners, right, and the outcasts, they drew near to him. They were attracted to Jesus spiritually, of course, as God the Son. There was something about him, even if they weren't saved yet, there was something about him that they were tr- attracted to that they didn't completely understand because it was on a spiritual level. They were also attracted to him emotionally. And the truth is, nobody is repelled by the true Jesus. Some people, unfortunately, are repelled by false representatives that don't accurately represent him. But if we are, you know, living the life, and we're not perfect, we're living the life that, you know, the light of Christ, what Jesus says, then people will be attracted to him, hopefully through us. And it says, and Jesus received them. Now, that word to receive means to assimilate or to absorb. And this is where we have the discussion and people say, you know, what, what is your issue with religion versus relationship? And religion can be, if you look it up in the dictionary, it can be a system. It could be a system. It could be rote. It could be you just do these things. But relationship is actually with the same way that God helps us to understand to love others he wants us to also have that relationship with him right it goes in both directions god deals with us we receive from him we also pray and it's this it's you know it's different than a human relationship because he's god but this is the desire right and these words in the greek are very rich when it speaks of a relationship with the living god so the religious leaders are aggravated by this as some religious leaders are aggravated today. You know, person doesn't have the right look. They don't have the right clothing. They don't have the right whatever. Well, maybe they just walked off the street and they know nothing about God. Give them some time. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's why some churches become mausoleums. 
They're actually be very beautiful, but they're dead inside. And I certainly don't want that to happen here. Uh, so the question is, do we emulate Christ to the effect that we draw people close to him or do we drive people away from the Lord? And it's always going to be a heart check. I've got to be honest with you. I think I was so zealous my first few years of being a Christian that I, I, I probably repelled some people, and I'm just being honest, not because I was judgmental, but because I was so zealous. I was like a puppy that, you know, uh, you, did you receive Jesus yet? You receive, you know, so I had to, God had to get me to chill and, and just, I just was so excited for people to receive God, everyone. But you, you have to be patient, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and it was a heart check for me, and I had to learn how to just be patient, right? When we do our best to exude the biblical Jesus, others can't help but be drawn to him as well. And the tragedy is, is this, even today, this segment of the population that are what I would call pharisaical. So the Pharisees right? High religious echelon. You know, if you even read Jewish writings, non-Christian Jewish writings of the first century, they complained about the hypocrisy and the corruptness of the religious system. So it wasn't just Jesus saying it. It was well known at the time. There was this unholy alliance between um, the religious system and the power structure at the time. You can read this in any history book. So the tragedy is when people, even today, 2,000 years later, feel, again, they look down on others. Well, they're doing this. I know what that person did last weekend. You know, again, let them introduce them to Jesus, the love of Christ, and give them time. And, and it is for us to judge. It's we should be worried about our own business. But, you know, there are many people, even in the United States, that are churchgoers, that are moral people but they might not even have a relationship with Christ. And that's, that's a problem. And this pharisaical attitude can, again, it, it hasn't died in 2,000 years. It's still present, unfortunately. So let's go into the parables. Verse 3. So he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So two out of four is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, as usual, this seems like a simple agrarian story until you look at the details and the symbolism. Jesus says, what man of you? And Jesus would try to draw his audience into the parables. Now, let me just say that when you look at the two parables that we're going to cover today, it's very simple. God loves the lost, wants them to be saved, and God is thrilled, the angels are thrilled when one person who's wayward comes to, to God, right? And then they, they're, they're, going to go, they're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're going to be at the banquet in heaven. Very exciting. So that's the simple thing. However, let me, I want to get into some of the details because the details are very interesting. Jesus kind of, in this parable, remember a parable is a, is a physical event that takes place where Jesus uses to cross over and make a spiritual parallel. So there's three things going on. The first two are closely tied. The third is really the most important part. He says, well, what, what manner 
of man or what manner of man and then in the next one he goes what manner of women so he's basically saying you you guys tend to animals here let me make a let me make a connection here let me make a, a symbolism you know if you had one of your livestock and something happened you know you would you would care for it and try to find it so he kind of in, interjects them into the parable but then he uses some terminology right that it's a little uncommon to what the average person might do under those stressful circumstances. So you have the, the idealistic part of the parable, and then he draws them in saying, almost seeing the better of them, saying, you know, if this happened to you, you, know, you, you would take care of your animal. The third part is the most important part, is where he makes the spiritual application with God and the lost, and I'll go another step and saying that because God loves the lost so much, we should also love the lost, which was totally lost on these religious leaders. Pardon the pun. <laughs> so there's a lot to this, all right? And for a shepherd, actually, for one shepherd it, to care for a hundred sheep was actually a lot, right? It, it, it was a lot. And one sheep, you know, if you read about shepherds, it's fascinating how they know these animals, they know the different bleeding. B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G, what they look like, how they smell, their characteristics. And it, it's the human brain's amazing. So out of 100 sheep, they know, well, I don't see, you know, uh, Linda. <laughs> I don't know, they, they name them or whatever. So, you know, where, where is she? Where is she? Oh, my goodness. She's, she must have gone off grazing and, you know, she didn't come back. So I got to go find her. Let's look at the exaggerations or the uncommon details. And these are important too, because there's an idealism in the parables. So if you had one of the people that Jesus spoke to and they had a hundred sheep and one got lost, it would cause stress. You'd have to get the 99 to maybe with somebody else in a safe place, get them in the pen, the corral, and then you'd have to look for the one that's lost, which could take days. And in some cases, if you didn't get to it quick enough, a wolf or some type of predator would get to it. So let's just say it would be a stressful situation. <laughs> that being said, truthfully, somebody who's looking for the sheep might actually be, when they find the sheep, what are you doing here? You know, they might be annoyed. But in this parable, it's idealistic. They're rejoicing they're so excited they're not upset at the animal who got lost right and the guy even throws a party so the shepherd goes to great lengths to find the lost sheep and if this is a picture of god which i believe it is it's that he would go and does go to great lengths to seek the lost and listen i've given my testimony many a times god definitely pursued me definitely put people in my life and maybe for a few years, I was like, I just wanted to keep going my way. Obviously, I'm here. At some point, I was like, well, maybe there's something to this, right? And, and my life completely changed. Um, there are places like North Korea and uh, Iran, valid uh, testimonials of people where the, the government even jams Christian radio signals. It's the craziest thing how they're so... Um, they're so scared of Christianity reaching the people. They have total control. They're fascists, right? But God is actually using dreams and visions for people to like wake up one morning and say, oh, you'll never believe who I saw in my dream last night. Jesus. 
who, seriously, and then they go around and they like, does anybody know who Jesus is? Does anybody have a Bible? This is incredible things that actually get back to us, right? We had missionaries that went into ISIS territory. They went to some of the refugee camps and uh, they were able to share Christ. So God will use many different ways to receive people so they can understand who Christ is and that he died for their sins and that they'd be saved. Right. So, and let me just say this too, because I don't want to say anything that may offend if it's not necessary. We are all lost until we find Christ. So let me just get that out there. So I'm not talking about those people, those lost people. I'm not a Pharisee because I was that person before I got saved. So we're all lost until we find Christ or until he finds us better yet. It's kind of, it's a mutual thing. It's a relationship, right? Okay, continuing on, listen, you, you can look up uh, the Bible and how many languages it's been translated into, hundreds, um, you know, indigenous dialects in remote areas that people have painstakingly gone through a process to actually, you know, take the Bible and translate it into these indigenous languages. I mean, I was just talking to one of some brother today just before service order and he went to uh, somewhere in Central America and he, he just was amazed at how some of these mission organizations and the people that literally give their lives to bring the message of salvation to others. And God will use people to do that. Um, when he has to, like I said, dreams and visions, he will use supernatural means if the, his people can't get to those locations. So he'll make it happen, right? Verse 5. So when the sheep or when the shepherd finds the sheep, he carries it home. Was it injured? Now you've heard the stories and I, you know, I've never been, I've actually never, I don't think I've ever met a real shepherd, but I've read stories about them. And sometimes if the animal is continuously wayward, they may um, sprain its legs or break one of its legs so that it, so that the shepherd could keep carrying it everywhere while the leg heals. So, and this is really kind of wild. The term is imprinting, right? Um, my wife and I have rescued ducks, geese, horses, dogs, cats. Oh, the food bill. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the imprinting is a cool thing. My wife is, I gotta say, is the bigger animal lover, but she's totally sold me. I, I'm to- she's totally won me on animals. I actually had a duck once. You talk about imprinting. They were these, these mallards, and I guess the mother got hit by a car, and everybody, please don't drop animals at our house unless you ask me first, <laughs> or give me a bag of feed too. But, um, and so the mallards came to our house, and we watched them grow up, and we held them, and they, they get used to your smell, they get used to your voice. When you hold them close, your heartbeat, there's a whole science on imprinting with animals to the extent that some people who do that with wild animals and predators, it's very hard to reintroduce them into the wild. So it's, you got to really make a judgment call on that. But I had this one beautiful mallard. He grew up, uh, I called him duckweed. I don't know why I called him that. But we, we got a pen. We, you're going to say, Pastor Joe is crazy. We even got, I, I ran electricity to the pen. We got a baby monitor so we could hear their quacking. If, if something was to get to them, I'd run outside and, and protect them. So we had this thing every morning. So this one duck we eat duck uh, imprinted to me. And I would go out every day and he would, because he, I was his guy, right? And I would open the fence and I would say, I would run and his little legs couldn't keep up with me. 
So he would take off, and he would literally fly circles around me. Quack, 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 quack. All right, Duckweed, come back down. It was wild, right? So we've done this. Some of you are like, this guy's whacked, you know? <laughs> I mean, animal lover is one thing, but, but it's kind of cool because Jesus uses this example of a shepherd with his sheep because everybody could understand that in that type of culture. And he's saying, well, this is how God is with us. You're, you know, it's, it's a greater bond than us and, and each other or us when, with the animals. So this picture of the, of the sheep being carried everywhere and the sheep smelling the shepherd and hearing his voice and feeling his heartbeat. Um, and then when the shepherd is finally, he- or the sheep is finally healed, He's not going to wander again. He's imprinted towards that shepherd. So I kind of see, there's so many details in this. I love it. Um, But you could see God with us. He wants us to sort of imprint with us. He wants us to understand Him. He wants us to love Him. He wants us to call on Him when we need something. He wants us to have a daily relationship with Him. So it's, it's kind of, it's really neat stuff. Uh, verse 6, The shepherd rejoices with his friends and his neighbors because he found the lost sheep. And the parallel in verse 7 is that God and the angels rejoice when a person repents. Now what does repentance mean? And I think sometimes it's a hard word for people to understand. It has a very deep meaning, but if I was to make it simplified, I would say it's to change. So again, in my life, I speak for myself, broken home, kid, teens, early 20s, I'm going this way. I'm doing Joe's world, Joe's way. And when I repented, and it was through evangelists, it was through going to a Bible teaching church, it was through a friend that I knew who was Christian, it was sort of this, this turn 180 degrees and now moving towards God so the repentance is of course you you repent of your self-directed life you repent of your sins right you you want to start following the Lord you want to start pleasing him what does he want well maybe his ways are more important than me putting myself first all the time so you see this it's all wrapped up in repentance Um, and it's it's the person the person repents and the we do altar calls right somebody comes up to receive Jesus at the end of the service and I say, I can't imagine what it sounds like in heaven. The angels are rejoicing. What does that sound like? Maybe one day we'll get to hear it when we go there. Uh, but it's, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. So when God connects with the lost, he's tender, right? He's, so the shepherd in the story, idealistically, right, uh, pragmatically or in reality, again, might be annoyed that this one sheep just keeps and he's got to keep. But in in God's sense, there's no annoyance at all. There's immediate rejoicing. And that's what was uncommon in this particular parable versus a real-life situation. God wants to nurse our wounds. He wants to change us for the better. And I would say that if somebody tells you, and, and I, I know people who've come from broken families and uh, abusive relationships, and you know, they feel, I can never change. I've been told my whole life I'm worthless and I can't change. Well, not according to the Scripture. According to the Scripture, first of all, the first step is repentance. You're changing, following the Lord, and God starts to do a great work in your heart. If you've ever done a study on the brain, um, I love neurobiology and brain sciences, is the neuroplasticity model. right? People who can actually get off of 
fentanyl addiction, heroin addiction. It's amazing. Just a total turnaround. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do that. Um, you know, some bad uh, habits and behaviors that are self-destructive. God can change that too. It's a lie from the world to be told you can never change. I changed, right? So, uh, Listen, God first, neuroplasticity model. He made the brain. You can do it, right? So I want you to be encouraged with that. Okay. Uh, so because so you ha- we have the, the main idea here, the main picture. I told you, you know, what does the parable mean? What do they mean? And then you have sort of the, when theologians get together and Bible teachers and they're like, well, what do you think of the 99 who were just and didn't need repentance. And then what ha- so I like to kind of touch on that, but it's really not important. But again, for my Bible students, it's something that's interesting to play with. Uh, so how could there be the 99, uh, 99 just persons who need no repentance? Does a person exist like that? Right? So the answer to that question is, and again, it's, it's outside of the understanding of the story, is that, that when they came into the fold, they also had that initial repentance, right? So the initial repentance is just making a complete lifestyle change, spiritual, physical, emotional. That's like the, the, the positional repentance. Now, when we do something wrong, like if I do something wrong today and I feel convicted about it, I'm also going to repent in prayer. It doesn't mean I lost my salvation. It just means repentance is not only positional when you get saved, but it's, it's also ongoing. So the 99, the assumption is that they're just, not because they're great, because then we're back to the Pharisees. They're just, right, because they at some point received Christ and did it before that one sheep that got lost. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're straight on that. And, you know, people ask, did they all wander at some point? Did they never wander? And we get caught up in these conundrums that have nothing to do with the main point that Jesus is trying to make. And that's where the parables can go when people start to stray from the main point. But let's just look at this. Sheep can be prone to wander, right? Um, I look at getting lost while grazing is a picture of worldly distractions, right? And there are some that, you know, did, did the person, and this is it, whether you, you never knew God, and, and here's the question, okay, is that representing somebody who never knew God, right? They were born, they, it wasn't in a Christian home or a godly home, and um, they didn't know God at all, and then one day they understood who God is and they received Christ as their Savior, or... Was it somebody who maybe they grew up in a Christian home and, you know, they went out into the world at 18 and, and they started to walk away from the Lord, but then they came back? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, it's the same application. Whether you here listening are that person who never knew the Lord, like me when I got saved, or you're that person who knew when you were younger and life got in the way and pulled you away from the things of God, come back to Him. Amen? <laughs> And people do that. They're like, I, I don't know if this, you know, I don't know if I should. If you feel that you're estranged in any way from the living God, just come back to Him. He's going to rejoice and throw a party. Amen? So, I always say, I hope there's a recording of it. When I, I get there, I'm, maybe I could hear some of the, the hootenanny, that's an old word, that went on when people got saved or during the altar calls. Uh, so, I'll say this as well. The shepherd has a hundred sheep back then. For one shepherd... 
to have a hundred sheep was a lot. Could be done, but it was a lot. So that shepherd went, picture of God, after the 1%. Consider that next time you think you're insignificant. 1%. 7.8 billion people on the planet. He wants everybody in the kingdom. Every person. Every Catholic, every Calvary person, every Muslim, every Hindu, every Jewish person. He wants them all in the kingdom. That's the heart of God. Amen? I'll leave you with this. There's an expression that says, seeking is love, finding is joy. Right? It takes a lot of love to seek that which is lost or that which is separated. But finding is joy. That's where the rejoicing comes from. So he lays the sheep on his shoulders. Understand this, and it took me a while, because I've got to be honest with you, I had pride. You know, I, I started to make my life, and it, I did it with my own hands, and we deceive ourselves, right? I, I built this, and I, I bought that, and I worked for this before I come to Christ. So the whole idea of me being need, needing Jesus or, um, you know, I can't, I can't make it to heaven on my own merits. I, I need Him. It took a little while for it to absorb into my spirit because I, maybe I'm a little type A, okay? So, uh, but it was something that had to happen, and I'm just setting you up for a, for a scripture in Romans 5, 6 through 8. This is incredible. It says, For when we were still without strength... And it doesn't mean we're physical weaklings. It means that we did not have the strength to save ourselves. Understand that. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You... you. I, I accomplished a lot of things in the world. I realized after investigating that there was no way I was saving myself. And I didn't come to Christ reluctantly. I was, wow, he, he knew all this. I'm, I'm going through this, this process of understanding, right? But he did all the heavy lifting, and I came to the right conclusion. And here I am. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to heaven because I'm a great guy or because I'm a pastor. I'm going to heaven because I trusted Jesus to pay for my sins, period. Sins are sins separate us from God. Even Romans 8.26 now, so being saved, so before the Romans 5 is not being saved and, and Christ did it for us, He did all the heavy lifting. I like Romans 8.26 now, being saved, how God still helps us. Right? It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It's another powerful, powerful scripture. Wear that sheep, you know, enjoy the ride while He's got you on His shoulders, you know. Smell Him, listen to Him, feel Him imprint with him he's your god he loves you it's a learning curve to to build back what we never had in the first place right um so john 10 11 jesus is the ultimate shepherd he said i am the good shepherd the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep verse 8 second parable it says or what woman right 
What man, shepherds, what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When Jesus repeats himself, it's definitely something to pay attention to. Right? And he keeps with the same subject, same subject. We need to get that. So three out of four is the parable of the lost coin. Now, understand that there was a wedding custom with, and again, customs, um, culture. I knew nothing about Middle Eastern culture, especially not back then, when I first got saved. The more I studied the culture, and even some of the things that still happen today, um, their incredible hospitality, their incredible... Um, ingenuity with simple uh, instruments and tools. They're remarkable people, things that have been passed down from a long time. So when I started understanding that culture, I started to really grow in my understanding of what Jesus was saying. It was, I guess it was a little easier for them back then because they were immersed in that culture. Here we're so separated, you know, we're technological, we're biotech, and, you know, it's 2023. It takes a little while to kind of get up to speed of what he was talking about back then. But the ladies, when they would get married, um, one of their, their gifts, and, and there was a process, and it could have been the family that did it, uh, they would, on their wedding day, they would receive this, um, it could have been a, a headband, it could have been a necklace, but it had 10 coins interwoven through it, and it was a sentimental piece of jewelry that they would have. So those 10 coins, you didn't go and buy bread and milk with it. You kept it as a sentimental uh, token of you know, that, that event in life. So if one coin somehow came off the chain and ended up going under the, the desk or something, um, the, the lady back then would have said, well, this nine's not going to do it. It's not complete unless there's 10. So again... Um, they didn't have, you couldn't just turn on the light, you know, flick on the LEDs and look for it or get the flashlight. She would have to light a lamp because she didn't want to forget to do it. And it would be an urgent thing that she wanted to get it now. I need to find it now before I forget or before whatever may take place. And then I never find it. Um, so it's, it's a very neat parable that we look at and, you know, I, I even today, right, when you lose stuff, don't you get like, you know, annoyed when you, listen, I don't know, it must be, I think when you hit 50, some of you young people can say it happens to you, but like I could have, I, the other day I had a bunch of things in my hand, and I'm in a hurry as usual, and uh, I can't find my phone. Well, what I realized was it was actually in my hand. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm at that age where the phone is in my hand. I can't find my keys. My wife wants to know where her lipstick is. And I'm like, babe, I don't use your lipstick. I have no idea. So, um, but you know, you're all laughing because we all do it. Some of you 20-somethings and teenagers can tell me if it happens to you too, or just us old folks. So, you know, losing something that's important, it's a big deal, right? Uh, so I, I kind of look at the woman lighting the lamp, and, you know, this is, this is, again, more important than some of the silly things that we lose. But I look at her lighting the lamp, and that light representing Christ, who shines in a dark world to find the lost, Right? 
pretty neat stuff. So you can see some symbolism with that. Um, again, the, maybe the exaggerated portion is uh, the woman calls her friends and neighbors to rejoice that she found the coin. You know, I mean, did we ever put all over social media that we found our keys? I really prefer not to talk about it, although God knows how many people just heard me talk about it. Uh, so, uh, but what is, what is joyous, right? Maybe this, it's a subtle exaggeration purposefully is that when, when one lost person is found, it's the same rejoicing, right? So Jesus is saying the guys, it was often a mixed crowd. Guys, if you lose a sheep, one of your livestock, this is, you should rejoice as God would rejoice, right? And he says to the ladies, if you lose one of those coins, wouldn't you rejoice as well? So uh, verse 10, read this again. It says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I mean, I can't, I don't know how many different ways I can say it, but God loves us. And when we get into the, the next time, the parable of the prodigal son, that is so powerful. There's so much depth in there. And you, when you talk about exaggerations, um, the Middle Eastern patriarch and how he behaved in a way that he went overboard for his son, um, again, the hearers would have been like, mm, I don't know if my granddad would have done that. But this is God we're talking about, right? He goes overboard in his heart and his love and his actions to receive the lost. Anybody coming to Christ, they come up to an altar call or somebody um, you meet maybe out in the street and they lead you to Christ, that's it's just an exciting event. There's no shame in that. Oh, you don't know my past. You don't know. I, I'm, I'm into this right now. I don't know if I could break it. You know what? Just come to Christ and let him work on you. I think sometimes in the, in the organization of the church, we try to play the Holy Spirit. And that can be problematic because we'll look at somebody, well, oh, that's not my sin. I've never done that before. And, and again, this is a problem. That, that haughty, arrogant, churchy type of behavior and you look down at your nose and that's what they did in the 60s with the hippies nobody wanted them in their churches because they didn't wear shoes and chuck smith said i don't care if they ruin the carpet he literally said this we'll rip up the carpets and put new ones in or we'll steam clean them just let them come into the church so i mean that's the thing right come as you are and as as church people we should say the same thing come as you are right? Lead them to Christ. If they're doing something wrong, let the Holy Spirit work on them. Let Him change them. And quite frankly, don't we do things wrong? Even those of us who are saved, can we really judge another person? And Jesus says we can't. With that same method that we judge, it'll be measured back to us. So that's way above my pay grade. Um, that's for the Lord to deal with. And, uh, you know, give people some time and you, you see amazing things happen. And I've seen it. I've seen the miracles in this church of people who have totally turned their lives around. And it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was the Lord because they submitted to him. Incredible stuff. So this was a direct and indirect chastisement of the religious leaders who had no time or patience or love for the lost for the tax collectors, for the sinners, for the thieves, for the prostitutes. They didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't want to be near them. And some of them had the attitude that if they got too close and they brushed up against them, they would immediately wash their clothes because they felt defiled. That's disgusting. 
But you can see that happen today, right? See that happen today. Verse 4. Last point is the parable of the lost you. Not you. That's my attempt at humor. I'm glad you all got it. So, not you, as in the you lamb, but the lost you, Y-O-U. Listen, folks. I was looking at world statistics, and it's heartbreaking. I was going to all these websites, data. I love data, statistics data. And it shows that um, if you take the whole world, every country, every people group, for the most part, they calculate that every second, three people die and pass into eternity. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. In an hour, that could really add up. And that's God's desire is that they're saved. Is that they all are saved. That's God's heart. And folks, it should be our heart too. You know, I'm very busy in my life, but you know, I always try to, in my mind when I pray, like open the door to meeting a stranger or meeting somebody who just looks by their face that something's very wrong, that they just need to talk or listen uh, or something. Um, so, you know, th- this is God's heart. His heart is, He knows those statistics too. And He wants every person that steps into eternity to know Him. You can ask me, or ask yourself, does God really love me? And you can listen to this sermon and think of all the reasons why this isn't for you. You can think of all the reasons, because maybe what you've heard from people, why God doesn't love you. And I'm going to give you all the reasons why He does. And I'm a good arguer. And I think I, think I can hold out and win this one. Right? So, um, all the reasons, all the Scripture... I mean, if you're listening to this right now and you're on the fence, just give your life to Christ. The same Jesus who attracted outcasts and sinners has the same heart for all of us today. And again, I'm answering all the objections, right? Because that's what I do. I enjoy that. Somebody might say, well, I'm not a tax collector or a thief or a prostitute. You don't have to be. All you have to be is a sinner. And sin is a funny thing. It's like... it. it, the links in the chain of sin hold us over the precipice of judgment. And it only takes one of those links. It could be a small link. It could be a fat link. It could be a long link. One of those to break, and that's it. We're done. So all of our sins need to be forgiven. And I think the danger is when we start comparing sins. Well, at least I don't do that. Okay? Moses killed somebody. The Apostle Paul consented to the, to the death of early church members. And he, when he got saved, he realized what God saved him from. And he just never quit. He never stopped. He wrote half the New Testament. He traveled all, almost all over the known world at the time. So, you know, these are important. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that means anyone, whosoever will believe would not perish but have everlasting life. And again, the same heart that God had in Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And he knew, God immediately knew there was a separation between him and the humans that he created. And he said, Adam, where are you? Well, God can't see. He needs his glasses. They were hiding behind something. No, no, no. 
When God said, where are you? He meant, where are you in here? Adam, I can sense something's different. And God wasn't trying to be mean about it. He, he, it broke his heart that that relationship was immediately fractured and that the people that he made were hiding from him. You know, he wanted them to come back. Where are we this morning? Where are we this morning? The lost coin and the lost sheep were out of place. Why? Because the one sheep belonged with the flock. The one coin belonged with the others on the necklace. And lost sinners belong in God's family. The shepherd saw that one sheep was valuable. The woman saw that one coin was valuable. God sees that one person is valuable. And again, we look at the world, we look at geopolitics, the world is a big place. It doesn't matter. God still can deal with us on an individual basis. The Bible says that the angels rejoice. And again, I wonder what it sounds like in heaven when one sinner comes to the front and receives Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I will say this, knowing that, if God is calling you today to come to Him, go ahead and do it. And make the angels make some noise in heaven. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.